Well, good morning, everybody. It is just a joy to be here together in this place today. I wish I had the chance uh, to be setting up chairs right now for those of you that are standing. And so I want to just say to our hospitality team that if we're able to put some folding chairs in the, um, uh, just along the sides of the major entry portals, uh, that would be a good option for us. I imagine we could also fit a couple of chairs over there by the prayer banner. And a little secret for those of you who are up along the back, there's a ledge, a really comfortable seating ledge behind the bar height tables at that back part of the, uh, of the room. If that would make it more easy for you to, to enjoy the worship service, uh, we welcome you to do that. Even some seating along the staircase going down on the flanks will probably be okay if you're ready to jump up if there should be a fire. Don't <laughs> hope the only fire will be of the Holy Spirit in this place. Uh, but listen, it has been uh, such an amazing weekend so far. Uh, Easter, I know, is precious uh, to people for a variety of reasons. It's a great time when families come together. Uh, I think uh, Easter means uh, something so much to candy-loving kids and brunch-loving adults. And I'm both of those. My wife would tell you I'm a candy-loving. I like candy first, then brunch, then more candy. Do any of the kids relate to that? You know what that's like. We love uh, this, this holiday. Uh, the most important part of it, of course, uh, is what this holiday is really all about at the core. And it is the amazing truth of God that meets us on this Easter Sunday. If I had to boil it all down to just three simple words that really say what Easter is, it is this idea that hope springs eternal. And it is the message that we have as a people, a, a hope for living that can stand up to life. Uh, life's going to throw a lot of difficult things at us, but we have a hope as followers of Jesus Christ. And, and that hope will continue to rise. It will continue to spring in the midst of all that presses against us in life because that hope is eternal. It comes from a dimension of reality that we often refer to as eternity. And that dimension has got a power and a capacity beyond the merely, merely mortal and physical uh, and is available to us. Um, as one of the eyewitnesses to the original Easter uh, experience says in one of his letters, in his great mercy, God has given us new birth. Like we're alive again. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to unpack that idea for you today. I want to help it land in our lives in a way that will make a difference when we leave this place. And um, before I do that, I just want to acknowledge the context in which we're having this conversation. Uh, if ever there was a time when most of us find ourselves needing hope, it's now. Uh, we have been through, no secret, uh, a couple of years that have really challenged our ability to hope, that have really pressed at us from every direction. If you have been a parent trying to raise in school kids over the last couple of years, you need a medal. You deserve a medal, uh, a tall glass of something cold. I mean, way to go. <laughs> way to go. Uh, if you have been a kid uh, going to Zoom school and wearing masks and not even seeing your friends. How hard has that been, right? 
Great job. Congratulations for your perseverance over the way. If you've been somebody trying to, to uh, manage uh, caring for an older member of the family or you've been one of those older members, and you know how the pandemic conditions have challenged your ability to connect with the people that you know. Thank you for your bravery, for your courage, for your perseverance in these difficult times. All of us have been through what may go down in history as one of the most contentious periods of social and political uh, stress and, and division in American history. We've been dealing with very tough economic conditions uh, at home and now really scary geopolitical conditions overseas. And all of this really takes its toll on us. It really takes its toll on us. Last uh, month, I was um, invited to a, a dinner at uh, a restaurant in Oak Park uh, that was put on by an organization called the Center for Pastor Theologians. I have no idea how I got on that invite list, but they put me on this list. It was at Cooper's Hawk at, at that, that little winery store, uh, restaurant, and I said, I'm going to that. So I showed up. And uh, I sat down at a table with uh, some, one person who was a publisher of, a, of a, a major big publishing house and another guy that works in another, a different publishing. And, and then I got seated at the table with the speaker, just by God's grace. And the speaker was a guy named Richard Beck. And Richard Beck is a, a professor of psychology at Abilene Christian University and also uh, an adjunct at Fuller Theological Seminary. And he is a really thoughtful guy. And he shared with all of us some factoids that I thought you might find interesting as well. It's not our imagination that this has taken a serious toll on us. What, what Dr. Beck shared there is, is that we have been seeing now over, just over the last 20 years and then a big curve up here in the last two years, a precipitous increase in what mental health professionals call deaths of despair. And, and what he means is mortalities related to opioid abuse, to depression, to anxiety, to loneliness. Now these things have been on a rise over the past two decades in our, in our culture for a whole bunch of reasons. But over the last two years, they have just tailed up in a, in a phenomenal way. Something like 25 to 300% increases depending on the, the individual condition. In 2020 alone, the rate of alcohol-related fatalities went up 25%. Now, it had been climbing since 2000 at about a rate of about 3.9% a year. But in in 2020, it went up 25%. And amongst young people, a young adults, 40% increase during that time. Uh, as people were reaching uh, for something to help them with the turmoil in their inner life, they often turned to these substances. And it has had a tremendous impact. Now, I know, because of my, just what I do as a pastor, that it's not just uh, people who are literally physically injuring themselves uh, that have felt all of this, we connect regularly with a noticeably larger number of people who are dealing with bodily ailments, with relational problems, with, with uh, financial pressures in their life, or just a sense of being forgotten. I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where the person apparently came in up to talk about this issue, and what was really on the table was they just feel alone. 
They just feel like they're managing so much craziness and they're just managing it alone. Uh, I know that pastors are regularly talking about this amongst themselves now. I talk within our staff about it, but I also meet with a network of pastors around the country and everybody is seeing a higher intensity amount of, of, of fatigue and worry in people that just is different than in earlier eras. I heard Vince Bacote, who's a professor of theology and ethics at Wheaton College, coin a name for this phenomenon. And Bacote calls it hope sickness. As a nation, we've been living through a period of hope sickness. Now, that's a, that's a particularly serious problem because we know from other studies that, that where people have a sense of hope, life simply thrives at a different kind of level. Uh, where people feel a, a, a dominant sense of hope, um, they are physically healthier, they are emotionally more resilient, which means they can bounce back. You know, even when you, they take a hit, they're going to they're gonna recover faster. And they bring more value to the spheres they enter when they walk into those circles with a sense of hope about them. Um, so, so it is a really significant thing when we're having a hope sickness issue. And the question that I think all of us ought to be asking right now is how do we bring more hope into people's lives today? How do we go about doing that? Well, I want to invite you to imagine with me for just a moment that all we had to go on for an answer to that particular question was what social science research has surfaced for us. Now, you're, you're, you're in a church, so you're going to hear a little bit more than about social science, right? Advance warning. But... But even if we just, on the idea that all truth is God's truth, just based on the idea that, that, that uh, scientific inquiry can often yield some helpful insights, uh, let me just tell you what researchers have discovered about what promotes hope. And again, I, I want to credit Dr. Richard Beck for sharing this information with me uh, rec recently. And this is the kind of thing, by the way, you can talk about with friends and families and people that don't even do the God thing. You can talk about these these important ingredients in a recipe for hope. Although I think by the end, you may want to talk about some added value that can come to that recipe. Uh, so here, the first thing we know from research that builds hope in people's life is a sense of mattering. A sense of mattering. And what, what is meant by that is that people know that they are truly seen by somebody. And when I say seen, I don't mean just that people wave at them when they go by in the, in the hallway or the, the supermarket or wherever, but that somebody out there really understands their aspirations, their hurts, uh, their worries, and their idiosyncrasies and embraces them. Uh, I have what I call idiot-syncrasies. My wife calls them that. No, I, I have those. But to, to have people in my life that know about all of these kind of peculiar, weird differences about the way I think and move through life and what I'm hoping for and desiring and all that stuff is just a huge part of my own personal sense of mattering. Um, I would suggest to you that, that um, where people are welcome, known, and loved, they simply rise in a different kind of way to life. Now, an experience of mattering comes from being 
in some kind of relational context that communicates that. You can't get a sense of mattering by yourself. You can, you can say I matter, but you're not gonna have the kind of real impact, the hope building impact of that without having some kind of a circle of people that are reaching out and communicating that value to you, which is why we know that, for example, um, babies will not thrive, might not even make it, if they don't have people touching them and speaking warmly to them. We know this is why kids that grow up in inattentive homes uh, where, where nobody really has time to listen deeply to them and inquire of them what's really going on, how, how are you doing with this, what were the highs and the lows, those kids have a much harder time later in life than kids who have lots of that kind of connection. It explains why kids growing up in, in violence, violent neighborhoods that are ravaged there where you can't really trust the people coming down the street towards you, what they might do, uh, these kids often become so much more hopeless and then resort to the other things that come when you lose your hope. Does this make sense? Amen. Right, this should make sense to all of us. Um, it probably also explains why there's been a lot of emotion around the conversation about whose lives matter. Because everybody wants to matter. You know, we, it's important that we matter, that, that we're seen, that we're welcome, known, and loved. So alongside of mattering, first ingredient to hope, researchers also found that to really live with hope, people need a sense of purpose too. They need a sense that, that there are places and particular roles that they can play in this life where their gifts will make a difference. They wanna, just, they wanna matter personally and they want their gifts to matter. Um, they, just test this against your own experience. How many of you have been in a home where at some point, uh, you hear this kind of a phrase. Mom or dad, I made something for you. Look, I made something for you. Or, or you're in a situation where somebody interrupts in the conversation. So I, I just got to share this with you. There's this in, experience I had. There's this insight that, and they just, they just are really intensely trying to get that in there, Right? Or, 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 or you're on the phone yourself and somebody has just invited you to, to dinner or to a party or some kind of social event and you say, hey, listen, uh, what can I bring? No, 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 no. I, look, let us bring the dessert. Let us at least bring the dessert. What's the common ingredient there? We just are made to want to contribute. We are made to find our fulfillment in bringing something to the party in bringing value, in creating, in shaping, in adding something that is helpful to other kinds of people. Um, it's like we've been uh, hardwired to, for significance, the kind of significance that comes from contribution and, and for meaningful work, which is why I think, again, if kids grow up in a home where everything's done for them, and we're not inviting our kids to contribute you know, regularly to the work of the family and the life of the family, those kids are not actually better off. You know, they, they, they're missing something that would, that sense of purpose that would add value in their life. Uh, it's why we're not doing anybody favors by creating social systems that disincentivize work. Because human beings simply have no sense of purpose where they can't 
really do something that supplies value. They become dry and depressed and hopeless if those opportunities are not there for them. Uh, So mattering, a sense of purpose. Finally, research demonstrates that to live with a sense of hope, uh, people need to trust that there is some coherence to life. Now, what I mean by that is that people need to have reason to believe that, that there's a larger story that makes sense of life. And they, they, can, they can live through difficult chapters. As I said, people are really amazingly resilient. People can live through very difficult chapters. If they have some reason to believe that that chapter isn't the only storyline, that there's a bigger one, that, it's gonna, that the pages are going to turn, it's going to be better, there's, 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 uh, there's possibility for greater order or meaning to be found, people can live through an awful lot if, if they believe that larger story exists. But if every plan they have is disrupted, if, if everything's always random, if life seems off the rails, if the goalposts are always moving, you know, it can make them pretty hopeless over time. So put this all together in your own mind. Can you see why the last couple of years have been particularly hard on people, so much so that it's created something of this hope sickness? When you can't be with people in the usual way, when the rhythms of school and work and play are topsy-turvy, when when authorities keep changing the storyline and, and moving the goalposts and we don't really see where so many things are going anymore, our sense of mattering purpose and coherence take this huge hit. They take this huge hit. So here's some good news. Though it won't feel like good news at the start, maybe. Easter begins there. Right there. Easter happened to people who were living through a pandemic of hope sickness of their own. We know that from studying the history. Israel in the first century, and that's the nation where Easter sprang up, uh, Israel had been marched over by more armies than Ukraine ever was, by more generations of, of military conflict. In fact, at the time that Easter happened, it was being occupied by a foreign force. They were seeing soldiers in their streets. They they were often experiencing abuse at the hand of the invading force. When Easter happened, uh, huge numbers of people were living in slavery or poverty, and there was incredibly oppressive taxation going on for people. There were divisions between the classes that were really big and absolutely intractable, and disease was rampant, and healthcare was horrible, and really good internet service was hard to find. (laughs) Just making sure you're still with me. So this was the scene. This was the scene. And yet, in one pocket, a new kind of hope was starting to rise up, to spring up. Why is that? Why is that? It's because of this verse. It was because of Jesus. Jesus was changing things for the people who were growing close to him. 
Now, before Easter came, Jesus was a celebrity. He had many, many followers. You could argue he had many, many more than the average person, maybe than any person alive in that part of the world at that particular time. Huge crowds were, were following, showing up at events where Jesus was because there was something different about his character. There was something amazing about the way he saw life and, and described the heart of God and, and the way he acted practically to, to care for people and to lift them up. There was, there was a buzz about Jesus, so much so, literally, that when the Passover came that particular year that Jesus came in through the gates on Palm Sunday, I mean, massive crowds showed up just to catch a glimpse of the guy. That was all before Easter. Then you know it turns south. You know that a bunch of, of, of clever people manipulated situations. They got the crowd whipped up. They got enough of people. They, they did a, a, a sort of a, a monkey trial, and Jesus was, was arrested. He was tortured. He was crucified. He was dead, and he was buried. And then Easter morning came. And, and after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as the scripture says, after suddenly Jesus was seen alive when he had been clearly killed, unambiguously killed, an even larger group of people began to pivot towards him. An even larger group than the crowds that, that assembled before began to really commit themselves to him. Because it was now obvious that he was not just an extremely good person, that he was not just an extremely brilliant teacher, that he was not just a superior spiritual guide, that he was not just an, an incredible social visionary. Jesus was all of those things, like no one else has ever been, all in one, because Jesus was eternal. The hope that came from him, that sprang up with him, was eternal hope. Because it became clear when they met Jesus back from the grave, he was not normal. He was supernatural. He had power. He had a capacity to lift life that existed nowhere else. Nowhere else. And if Jesus had fascinated people before Easter, and he did, now he filled them. Now he filled them to overflowing. And, and, and it changed the way they moved. <laughs> it, 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 he was not just sort of an interest. He was the center of their life now, at least for an increasing number of people. So much so, they began to move differently through life. They began to extend hope to other people. This afternoon, just read Acts 2, 42 through 47, and you'll see what I mean. It began, they, a community around the risen Jesus formed and began to move out into the world. And within uh, generations, they altered the Roman Empire dramatically. They transformed the entire Roman Empire. They instituted uh, new laws. They, they, they extended fair systems of jurisprudence. They uh, extended human rights. They established ministries of compassion and mercy that cared for the vulnerable that had not existed. This wasn't happening until Jesus. And we forget this. We, just, we take for granted these kinds of things exist. He started it. His vision his hopeful vision of what God had in mind that started to fill and overflow people altered human history in a remarkable way. And it spread out 
These people who had been born into this living hope, the movement spread out. It crossed oceans. It established churches. It established this church through which Jesus is offering today hope to you and me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Have you ever wondered to yourself, do I really matter? I mean, I don't have a Wikipedia page. I don't have a million followers. Um, you may think to yourself, I'm awfully young, you know? I, I, or I'm really old. Or, 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 or I, I, I'm just going to school, or I'm just um, raising kids, or I'm just going to work, or I'm just trying to get along in life. Do I really matter? How could I know that I mattered? Well, alongside the cues that I hope the people in your life are sending you about that question, um, I can tell you, if Jesus were standing here today and he was talking to you face-to-face the way he did to Mary Magdalene on that Easter morning and to the other disciples in due order, if Jesus was here, here's what I think he might say. Why do you think I left the glories of heaven? Why do you think I would leave that dimension and take on human flesh And go through all of the rigors of that. And then give my life on a cross for the forgiveness of of sin. And And then be raised from the dead and establish this movement that I did. Why do you think I did that? Because you matter to me. You matter to me. So profoundly. I was chatting with a family in our church um, who, uh, the dad of whom had gotten back from spring break recently. And they'd gone to, to Disneyland, the one in California. And in the course of their time there, they had gotten into a, a conversation and, and then actually built a relationship over a couple of days with an employee at Disneyland there. And I'm going to call the employee Alfonso. It's not his name. But Alfonso told them a story, and they began to unpack his aspirations and hurts and worries, and just, you know, there was a mattering thing happening between them. And in the course of it, he explained that he had a sister, I will call her Maria. And Maria, uh, not too long before, had been in a terrible car accident that had left her severely injured. And and it had resulted in the loss of, of Alfonso and Maria's parents in that same accident. So Alfonso's now left as the sole caregiver of a pretty severely disabled sister. And he he lights on this idea that if he gets a job at Disney, Maria can come with him. Because they have these all-day passes, these year-round passes. You guys might want to move out there. It's a really cool (laughs) idea. You can go all the time. And so he could go to work, and Maria could come with him when he was at work, and she could be around the park, and she experienced all that the park has to offer. But what makes it even better is something that is revealed by this conversation. At the end of the day, sometimes, Alfonso will say to Maria, hey, sis, 
how was your day? And she'll respond often kind of grumpily. Well, it wasn't very good. I was all alone. And he says, oh, no, you weren't. No, you were not alone. And what he knew was that over time, everybody that worked at Disneyland got to know Maria. They got to know her story. She began to matter to them. And so all day long, wherever she was going, they were watching over her, watching out for her. And I just love that picture. I want to build a church that does that for everybody that ever walks into its precincts. I want to build a society like that that does that. Now, I know, you know, we're, we're not Disneyland, and I mean, you know, maybe we're not supposed to be. But you know what? We have a heart to try and be a community that expresses love in that kind of very concrete and particular way. So I would say to you is if you choose to come back into the life of this church after Easter, and I hope many of you will, you will matter to us. We will want to know your story. We want to hear about what you're wondering about and worrying about and how we can uh, really come alongside of you and, and, and bless you. Uh, but the, the good news is even better than that. The good news is that, that once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, and I want to encourage you, if you have never made the decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, make that decision today. Ask him to come and be the center of your life. Just trust him to have more than enough grace for all the sin and the struggle and the doubts in your life. He's got more. Just say, Lord, be the center of my life. Do that today. If you do that, not only will you have entered into a new kind of hope for yourself, but, but you will now have a forever family, not just the one that meets you here in these kinds of buildings, but, but, but a great cloud of witnesses, the scriptures say. There's a whole grandstand of people who have gone on from this life who will be watching you like that, that community of people at Disneyland will be watching you with hope, with excitement, praying for you that you might make it through the race, that you might make it through each one of your days. That kind of community and that level of mattering can be yours as well. And I hope that you will step into that kind of future. Never worry again about whether you matter. Jesus says, you definitely do. You matter to me, you matter to my people, to my family. Well, I hope you'll also realize that the risen Lord Jesus Christ has purpose for you. I know you've got lots of other jobs and other activities. But because of Jesus, you also have an amazing set of purposes for your life. You know, after Jesus um, was raised and then eventually went back to his Father in heaven, the disciples got together and began to talk about, okay, what do we do now? What do we do now? And they realized that Jesus had actually given them some really specific instructions about what they were meant to do now. They were the purposes he wanted them to pursue. 
And let me just hit a couple of the ones that, that Jesus talked about. For one thing, Jesus said, I want you to bear witness to me to the ends of the earth. Go make disciples of all nations. Bear witness to me to the ends of the earth. You shall be my witnesses, he said. You shall be my witnesses, which means simply this. Talk to people about me. Talk to people about how I've impacted your life. What it is that you love, what it is that you're attracted to, what it is that has changed because of my influence on your life. And do that. Just, you don't have to try and convert them. Just bear witness. That's all a witness can do, right? Say what I know, what I've experienced, what I've seen. In fact, if you do more than that, they overrule you. As, that's hearsay, Your Honor. That's hearsay. Just share what you know. That was one of the purposes he gave to his followers. Secondly, Jesus said, I want you to be like salt. Salt in this earth. I want you to go out and, and be like a seasoning influence in all the circles you enter. And, and I want you to sort of preserve against the decay that can sometimes happen in the world. And I want you to also be like light in every circle you enter. You know, brighten places up. Bring a radiance that, that, that illuminates the environments that you enter. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. That's your job description, Jesus said. He also said, I want you to love people. And, and because love is a... Is, is a, uh, a currency like Bitcoin that goes up and down, up and down in people's estimation of its value. Jesus said, I don't want to leave you any doubt about what love is. Love is what I do. I want you, and he said this literally, love people as I've loved you. In other words, watch me. Watch the way I love. And the way he loves is amazing because it doesn't just love people who are lovable. He loves people who are, especially when they're unlovable. Remember him, what he did on the cross? When he looked down at all those people that were jeering and rejoicing in his, in his agonizing death? Remember how he said to him, Father, smite them. No. No. Again, seeing if you're listening. He said, Father, forgive them. And you can imagine the angels from heaven going, what? Those people? Crush those bugs, you know? No, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and do good to people that are not doing good to us. This is our job description as his followers. And I want you to invite everybody you can into the circle of God's love, he said. I want you to immerse them in the life of God's love. We, we, we think baptism's about the water. It's not. It's about the immersion in the life of God's love. And then teach them all that I've taught you. All, that I've, all the cues I've given you to finding a life in all of its fullness and a life with God. Let other people know. Teach them about that. Help them get it. And then the Apostle Paul concludes with the last part of the job description I want to give you today. When he says, for you are all members of the body of Christ and each one of you has been shaped to play a special part in it. Sit with that notion. You have already been prepared by God to fulfill the purposes I've just described. He has made you with the particular personality you have, the gift set and skills, the life experience you have to be a difference maker in this world. And there are a few things that give us as much hope in life as being people that bear hope and help build hope for other people. So here's another invitation. Think about what it could mean for you and the people you influence 
if you were part of a community of hope like this one. You heard earlier some of the things that this church is involved in. Let me just hit a couple of highlights of what it is we're about here in this community. We are out to give kids the best shot at thriving we know how. We are about developing kids and teenagers with phenomenal character, with great relationship skills. We're about supporting adults in their marriages, in their parenting, in their work life. We're about trying to give them mental models and practical skills that help them thrive. We're about meeting people at the pain points of life. When they've lost, when they've failed, when they've been left, we wanna stand with them in those moments and help them find hope again. We are involved outside of this building every year with more than 70 partners that are working domestically and globally to bring hope in the environments they go into. You heard a moment ago what we've been trying to do to help in, in the Ukraine. You may have heard that last year we made an investment that forgave $7.6 million of medical debt for people oppressed by that debt. We are working in all of these different ways to relieve suffering, to lift up women and children, to, to multiply churches, to transform communities, to develop leaders. We're about extending a life-changing love that gives hope. And we will spend this year roughly a million and a half dollars outside the building for those purposes. And you know what? You can be part of it. Many of you I know are part of it. Thank you so much for that. But we would like to take that hope even further. And I hope and pray you'll come along and join with us. Again, we meet after Easter too. Come be part of the movement. Come be part of the movement. Uh, you won't be disappointed. In fact, I would say, even in you know, the worship is this good every week. Come back. Come back. Brunch is waiting, so I'm going to hit the last point. A lot of us wish there was more coherence to our lives these days. We see a lot of chaos and a lot of confusion in the world today. It feels like it's out of control. I talked recently with a very dear friend of mine. And she has just gone through this, this catalog cascade of calamities that like this, this kind of this you can't make this stuff up sort of set of tragedies and difficulties in her family's life. And she said to me, this has really tested my faith. You know, I thought, you know, I knew where things were going. Now I, now I question it. Now I don't know what to do with it. I, now, now I wonder, how could any of this be used for good? Do you ever feel that way? You ever feel that? I remember when I was 18 years old and, and my parents divorced and our house burned in a fire and both of my grandfathers died tragically, one of them, one of them by suicide, and, uh, and everything was coming apart off the rails. I was an atheist at the time. I, I thought there was no coherence to life. And then the risen Lord Jesus Christ met me through a community of people. And a process began that changed my life. And it's why I'm standing here today. It's why I'm bearing witness to what Jesus has done in my life. Uh, what I want to say to you, if you are really discouraged about what, what's going on in your life right now, please remember Easter. Remember Easter more than my story. My story is a result of Easter. From the vantage point of the people in the original Easter story that morning, the chapter they were living through was totally hopeless. Sin, evil, death had totally won the day. 
And they came to that garden tomb that day not just to lay flowers. They came there to weep together, to ache and cry together over the horror of what had gone wrong in the world, what was obviously never going to get fixed about the world. And they were there weeping when suddenly the page turned and Jesus was standing there. Not a graying corpse, but Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, alive, heart beating, arms extended, passion overflowing him, calling them by name, the risen Lord Jesus, the Lord of life, standing there with them. And it changed everything for them. Because Easter is God's encouragement that when our stories have gotten really sad, there's only one thing we need to do. Keep reading. Keep reading. Easter is the great author's encouragement that there's always a bigger story unfolding around us. And, and, and that we need to trust that. Easter is his way of foreshadowing. There's coming a day when, as the book of Revelation declares, there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things is going to pass away. And what will happen then is not just another chapter, but a whole new book, a whole new level of a new heaven and a new earth in which Jesus makes all things, everything, everything new. So in the meantime, we live with that in mind, but we also keep our eyes on the world around us. Here's what we know. There are gonna be more dark Fridays. There are gonna be more silent Saturdays where we wonder, are you even there? What have you done? Are you managing this well? And they're gonna thankfully be some surprising Sundays when the light breaks through and we're given those hints of the coming glory. But in the end, friends, this you can believe. In the end, sin and evil do not win. Goodness and grace win. Death doesn't get the final word. No, sir, life triumphs in the end. Despair doesn't have the victory. Laughter does. Heaven is going to be a place of amazing laughter. And Christian hope is not built on wishful thinking or passing emotions or present circumstances. You and I have hope for life because our hope is living. He's alive. Believe this. His name is Jesus. And you matter to him. And he has a purpose for your life. And your story is caught up in a great story that he's working out in history. So believe this good news. Hope springs eternal. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. <clears throat>